Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Lee Stringer, Workplace Specialist for EYP, discusses Be an Outsider at Work. This talk will be by Lee Stringer, and it's Be an Outsider at Work. Lee is a workplace strategy expert at EYP, an architecture and engineering firm. She's the author of two best-selling books, The Green Workplace and Healthy Workplace. Thanks, Lee. Thank you. All right. So for the next few minutes, I'm going to share a little bit of work that I've been doing recently with L.L. Bean, a big marketing campaign they held this summer. Uh, you might be familiar with it, uh, Be an Outsider at Work. Um, and I'll share some of the research and also just some of the great things that came out of that um, event. We were sponsored by Density. Thank you, Density. Any from Density here? Yeah? No? Okay. Um, please make note of emergency exit. So today, what are we going to cover? I just wanted to cover a few things, a little background. One, on some of the research we did looking at nature and the benefits of nature, why it's so important to us. A little bit about my, Lee's view of the world, the future of co-working, um, and then dive into the L.L. Bean work that we did this summer. So the benefits of working in nature, we all know that being outdoors is really innate in us. We love it. We can't get enough of it. As humans, uh, we are, for the last several million years, we've been working outdoors most of the time. It's only the last 300 or so we've actually been indoors, and we're so connected to it. There's this thing. How many of you guys have heard of biophilia? Is that a thing? Nice. We have a bunch of biophilians in the room, I hope, as opposed to biophobia which is the fear of nature, by the way. Um, so this, we love nature um, as a rule and uh, really enjoy being around it. And it's so good not only for our, our uh, health and well-being, but also for our performance. And there are lots of good data points around that. If you've ever uh, been to Japan and heard of the term shinrin-yoku, or forest bathing, it is a term that's being mentioned and thread around quite a bit. Uh, Shinrin-yoku is actually a practice in Japan of, it's uh, literally translated, sorry, into, oh, I have to go back to this, way, sorry, um, forest bathing is, is the translation, and there's so many wonderful benefits of being in nature. One of the things that um, these folks, a number of researchers in Japan have found is that there are, there's beneficial bacteria that we're breathing in, we're in when we're in uh, large uh, areas of nature. Phytoncides, which are emitted by plants um, as a protectionary measure, actually breathing that in is really good for us. Um, and also there's this thing called negatively charged ions, which are actually in large bodies of water. It's negatively charged ions that when we breathe those in, it reduces stress, it reduces depression, and has all kinds of positive benefits. You might also experience that after a rainstorm. I always thought I liked the beach because it, it just was nice, nice sounds and waves. Turns in, we're breathing in stuff that also makes us feel really good. So in Japan, they've been studying this for a long time. And in fact, there's something like 48 forest therapy trails spread throughout the country at this point. And what's so cool about them is what they've done is um, measured people uh, with biometric uh, measures pre and uh, before and after uh, they go through a walk, which might be for an hour and a half. It might be for three weeks. Forest bathing, there are lots of different ways of doing it. Um, and they found that actually the variable heart rate, cholesterol levels, all kinds of things improved, not only an hour after people went into the forest, but weeks after people went out into the forest. That's what's so cool is we're now having um, the data behind it. 
I have a whole bunch of books I can recommend on this topic if you're interested to learn more of the detail and the science, um, which I'll share at the end. So the personal benefits are pretty clear. Uh, improved mood, stress level, relaxation is better. Um, improved in health and wellness. The professional also, though, there's a lot of data saying not only do people feel more satisfied at work, but they have increased productivity and increased creativity. Uh, there's a lot of studies out there that show that actually when you do root, uh, work in a really small space, that you're much better at things like math. Um, when you go into a space that doesn't have a ceiling or has a very, very high ceiling, you're much more likely to be excellent at creative work, be more expansive in your thinking. There's a lot of rationale behind that. And working outdoors, of course, there's, there's no root there, so that's a fantastic place to try it. Okay, anybody from this location in the audience who knows what this is? Yes? Amazon Spirit, way to go. Lots of great work being done in this space, bringing the outdoors in, right? And really um, celebrating all that is wonderful and restorative about nature. Okay, anybody from this organization? I thought I saw Brian earlier. Yes, there he is, <laughs> Microsoft, way to go. Yes, so um, this is either Microsoft or the land of Ewoks, as someone was sharing with me earlier. I'm like, that does look like that Star Wars movie. Anyway. Um, a little bit about Lee's version of co-working and kind of where it's going. Of course, we all know about WeWork. Any WeWork person out here? Yes? Huge. I affectionately refer to WeWork as the McDonald's of co-working. And of course, it's done so much to really redefine real estate, which is amazing. Um, there are lots of different kinds of co-working facilities. I actually did a story for Slate recently um, and embedded myself as an embedded reporter in a woman-owned co-working facility called The Wing. Uh, recently, it just one opened up down the street from me in DC. I thought I'd try it out. Uh, it's really very interesting um, and very catered to the community that they're serving. There's millennial pink furniture everywhere. Um, there is a whole bunch of books, 90% of which are written by women, which I find very cool. Um, they're also organized by color, which I find not very cool when you're trying to find anything. But, um, but it's different, right? It has a different look and feel, and obviously um, it, it's more, uh, it's a club as much as it is a co-working space to connect people and inspire. This is another example of a co-working facility. This is um, uh, Assemblage. Have any of you visited that in New York City? Basically, you go here if you really care about health and wellness. It's a live and a working community. Um, and the uh, super, everything about it is lots of lectures about, about cool teas you can drink and yoga. I think they have a gong. It's a different kind of community, um, but they certainly are embracing health and well-being in another space in one of their sessions. And I'm happy to share slides, by the way, anytime. Um, and I, uh, we're also co-working in lab space, Cambridge Innovation Center here in Boston, uh, Johnson & Johnson and their J Labs. There's a lot of really interesting work happening in that sharing space. And even, this was a New York Times article that came out recently, even restaurants that don't serve lunch are offering co-working facilities in their restaurant during the day. And they're really trying to think again about sharing space, about using space and connecting people in the neighborhood in a different sort of way. So that is kind of where things are shaping. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the work that we're doing with Ella Bean. So this is a picture of me and my husband in front of the main hunting shoe you may be familiar of. You might have bought some in the 1980s or maybe sometime more recently. Uh, about 2014, L.O. Bean turned 100. And they had built these massive vehicles and drove a whole bunch of Bean Shoes uh, boots around the country as a campaign. It was really successful. They really learned a lot. But they said, we want to do something different in 2017 or 2018 
four years later to really talk about our brand, talk about what we care about. And if you've bought, how many of you guys have bought anything from LL Bean recently? Okay, kid book bags, anything? Okay. So if you buy it, um, you may notice there's a stick on there, be an outsider. So that's a huge part of their, who they are, who they see themselves, and really connecting families um, more often than um, people, extreme sports folks, really families to nature. Um, and this is, you know, encouraging people to be, um, be outsiders uh, as much as possible, enjoy the outside, enjoy their products, of course, when you're outside. Um, but one of the things that they really started doing, they partnered with Jack Morton, which um, actually their office here in Boston, and a marketing firm looking at different ways of, of rethinking about their brand. And one of the ideas that just really stuck with them was this idea of being an outsider at work. What if um, we really sent out the message that we, shouldn't, we should be outside during the work day, not just save it for evenings and weekends? Wouldn't that be a great idea? So, um, so this is the campaign, and I was lucky enough to get involved with them early on and do some research with them. We sent out um, a survey to a thousand Americans who work nine to five jobs and asked them a whole series of questions as we were kind of building this campaign. One of which was, do you like being outdoors at all? And of course, most people said, they really do. They love being outdoors. It's a great idea, but they almost never go out during the workday. So there's a disconnect here uh, that we wanted to get to the bottom of. There are many reasons people said that they didn't work outdoors, one of which was bugs, another due weather, hurricanes, you name it. I heard it all. Um, but the one that we really wanted to zero in on was the large percentage of people that said that their job was the biggest inhibitor. And it really fell under three different categories when it came to the job. One of them was simple stuff that anybody in this room could fix, like there's glare on my screen, or I don't have a place to plug in, or Wi-Fi. Okay, that's, that's easy. We can fix that, right? Um, there was a whole other group of people, group number two, I'll call them, which were really worried about what their boss thought or what their colleagues would think if they went outside and actually enjoyed themselves a little bit. Um, and, um, and that's really the perception, right, of how they might be perceived or might be seen. Um, and, and actually people don't believe that you could actually be effective outdoors and actually take a conference call where you're walking or have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with someone else. If I don't see you, you must not be working, right? And then there's a third group of people who said, honestly, it's inertia. I'm just working away, I'm in my flow, I've got my 16 screens in front of me, and I just forgot there was an outdoors at all. Did it rain? I don't even know, because I'm just so focused. And that's, that's fine, but there's also some opportunities there, I think, for us to prompt each other um, and or um, give ourselves good excuses to get outdoors and get a little fresh air and crisp in sight every now and again. We asked people in the survey about the benefits of being outdoors, and I mentioned um, the group on the left is kind of the personal, and the group on the right is kind of professional reasons. Um, and most of them agreed on the personal, or really saw a connection to the personal um, reasons to be outside, the reduced stress level and increased happiness, all good. Not a lot of them really made the connection, though, between being outdoors and actually improving your productivity or your creativity. That was a more difficult um, leap for them to make. The caveat was those people in the survey who said that they had a place outdoors to work now actually made that leap very easily. They could see it. It was those that didn't have a place outdoors that just couldn't make that visualization. So uh, the solution might be build it and they will come. Show them what this looks like. Set it up. It doesn't have to be super expensive. It could just be a table, a little umbrella. It doesn't have to be super fancy um, or require a lot of money but demonstrating it and visualizing. Not everybody can visualize like we can. Uh, of course, we tested with folks, hey, so those of you, you know, we're thinking about creating this outdoor space, would you be interested in it? 
And most people said, absolutely, that sounds like a great idea. Um, and so then it happened. Uh, we created it and um, partnered a huge, huge partner for this whole project with Industrial, a co-working uh, company who has uh, places all over the world, one actually right down the street here in Boston. They have a wonderful aesthetic and being really connected with them. And a lot of what they were up to, this I think is their back bay, or their back bay offices. <clears throat> and this is, uh, this is a pop-up. Um, so what we did and what they did is create a pop-up co-working facility. You, this is Madison Square Park. We launched it in Madison Square Park. And then it moved uh, every week to uh, Philly, to Boston, and to Madison, Wisconsin. So all over the country. And uh, it was there for two to three days. It was really, I think, only a couple days in New York. It's very expensive to rent out Madison Square Park. Um, but imagine, if you will, sirens rushing down the street and babies and homeless people and all it is, New York City surrounding us. Um, and then they basically, we created these lots of different kinds of settings. Um, here's another really, this one was really a hot item, which was this uh, bike desk or bike meeting table thing. Um, but some soft seating, some semi-covered, you can kind of see a canopy in the background there, like a little tent. Um, the idea was to try lots of different spaces. They were all wired. They all were pretty, pretty glare resistant. Most of them were, um, not these two up front. Um, and then uh, let's say Wi-Fi uh, wi enabled as well. And um, so there's a little place to check in. And then a being employee, one of the retail staff would take you out to your seat. And people just worked uh, for an hour, for all day, some of them. I was actually um, here for two days straight with the crazy sirens. <laughs> we did, I think, 47 press interviews in two days, which was incredible. A um, lot of interest, a lot of interest at the time in trying something different, right? Turn the inside out, take the office space, and put it outdoors. Um, and it's funny, a lot of people came up to Dean folks and said, well, why aren't you doing it in my city? <laughs> and they turned to them and said, the outdoors is free. It's right there. Just go for it. You don't need us, you know, kind of thing. I thought that was funny. Maybe they'll do it. This is, uh, this is Philly, um, one of the picnic tables with kind of like a little canopy overhead. Again, very simple. Um, not too hard to, to do, intentionally so, uh, just to kind of proof of concept how easy it is to work outdoors. Um, these are some of my colleagues working in Boston. I was telling them if architects can drag their drawings and work outdoors, anybody can do it. Um, so they got a lot of work done that day. It was pretty fun. And Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, so some of those were a little more open. Some of them were not so much. Again, they, you know, it was just parts and pieces that they redesigned several different, different ways. But lessons learned, I think people really, really enjoyed it. Um, they got a lot out of, of being there. I was surprised after a couple of days at how after a while I stopped hearing the fire engines and all I was really tuning into was the rustle of trees and the bird song and some of the wonderful parts of being outdoors just because you know, after a while I guess your brain just shuts off things it doesn't really hear. Um, and, uh, and really, it was wonderful. It was really fun from time. So for free, you can go to beanoutsideratwork.com, and we intentionally um, put a lot of work into all the research behind why it's so important in human history for us to pay attention to our need to be outdoors. Uh, a lot of great examples of cities, even city parks around the, around the country that are starting to really engage in kind of outdoory work um, uh, environments, and as well as you know the research that we learned and um, and some takeaways, things to do that are fun and creative to do with your team. Um, they have a lot of people who um, actually do a lot of teamwork um, and engagement and facilitation. Uh, they do that in an outdoor environment because it works really well. I mentioned that I would share with you all kinds of juicy books. 
I am a big fan of The Nature Fix by Florence Williams and Your Brain on Nature, um, both written by uh, two, two physicians. And then um, The Joy of Forest Bathing just came out. It's a real practical guide on ways that you can actually forest bathe in your community. It's, it's interesting, um, Melanie Chukas Bradley in DC, we've talked about this a lot, um, the importance of kind of having alone time, sitting by a stream, really appreciating just being in nature and the sounds of nature, and then sharing the benefits of that, really kind of deeply um, taking that in. Um, if you're in Japan and do a, a forest bath at the end, there's a certain kind of tea that you drink at the end. And then your guide to forest bathing, Amos Clifford, um, is another great one. Both Melanie and um, Amos are registered forest bathing coaches, forest bathing coaches, and have spent a lot of time in Japan. So there's a lot to learn um, about this whole thing. Um, but being outside is easy. You can do it anytime, and uh, lots of practical ways that you can um, you can do it with you know just even five minutes of your day. Taking a quick break really makes a difference. And that that is all. Oh, except that you should complete your evaluation. <laughs> And I'll take questions. How many of you guys have an outdoor workspace? Yeah, good. Yeah, sure. So the, the comment was um, that you all built an outdoor workspace, the terrace, and that people feel like they can't work that there because it looks like they're slacking off. So they'll be perceived, they're worried they're going to be thought of that way. And I think this goes into kind of change management 101 and leadership sitting out there and conducting a few meetings might change things um, a lot, actually. And also, I think um, having them, it was interesting having them, you know, literally working, like sitting at a lap, if it's possible to plug in, uh, that's another thing, you know, sadly, device equals work <laughs> in this world that we're in. But as long as it's really plug and play and there's power to keep them, you know, that kind of thing would be helpful. But um, yeah, I found the leadership thing is huge and modeling good behavior. So how many companies have outdoor work environments? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We looked hard. And I, you know, I showed you a few examples, obviously, from Amazon and Microsoft. But I would say that um, we'll see like a deck being used here, a terrace being used there, a lot of um, actually, in the survey, a lot of people didn't necessarily have outdoor working space adjacent to their workspace, right? It was a, Their building was right on a major thoroughfare. There wouldn't necessarily be a or a safe place adjacent to the, to the um, building itself that people worked in. They didn't feel comfortable um, going outside, and that's real, and so something to be considered. Um, I think one of the important things that we're learning is that locating spaces by green space makes a big deal. Location, 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 comes back to that. But we did a study at UIT and found that, um, so interesting. So our offices that are located next to green space or place to be outdoors, we were much more likely to actually work out. Um, way more minutes devoted to exercise, employees located in spaces or in, in, in buildings adjacent to a space. It's nice to walk around uh, or buy uh, trails and things like that. Um, same with housing, within your house by places that are green. But um, yes, so how many, how many places are actually doing this? I don't know, you probably count them on a couple of hands that are really fully investing or thinking about them also as co-working facilities. Yes. So the comment here was, hey, you know, if you're just working on a computer screen, it's a lot easier to kind of focus on work outdoors versus collaboration work on a conference call. 
doing that outdoors. And I would say, honestly, that varies, varies based on the individual. I take all my calls outside. It's the, really the best way to have a private phone call <laughs> to walk and talk. And I'll just pop my little earbuds in and put it on mute, you know, if they're walking by crazy traffic. But um, I really think, if you really think about it, technology is allowing us to do a lot more things than we would normally maybe could do just a few years ago. The quality of the microphone and your earbud and all that sort of stuff is really allowing us to actually be, I know, and it's almost obnoxious in New York, the number of people that you see walking on earbuds and talking as <laughs> they're walking down the street. So I think it's, it's a matter of you know, trial and error with your own work and your own personality and what you're comfortable with. But at the very least, taking a break, taking your lunch, taking a snack outside, there's so much for your well-being. And it's breathing those fighting sides and those negative ions. All that stuff is really good for us. And I think the work we've done with Harvard and the CO2, the COGX study, I think they shared it here at Cornet, like the quality of carbon dioxide and um, all these sorts of crazy things and the pens and markers and all the stuff we have in the dust lying around in our workspaces. It's really pretty toxic. We're getting better at building buildings, but it's a lot faster sometimes to just go outdoors and get some breath of fresh air to kind of reset your body. Obviously, drink lots of water as well. That's really important, um, you know, for, for kind of counteracting all the toxins that we're breathing in and movement. Movement is key. It's interesting when um, when we're in New York, and um, I spent most of the time in our New York site or the Bean site, but people were moving all the time. They were talking. They were collaborating, but it was funny just watching people. You couldn't help but want to move around a little bit more. And I think sometimes when you're in a cubicle environment or an office environment, you feel very restricted. Um, something about the natural flow of materials and plants and more organic shapes, maybe. Um, also, just the fact that you, know, you can like, turn around and get maybe a better quiet conversation, you know, facing away from something. I don't know. But um, I found it to be very, very interesting. I definitely got a lot more stuff than this today. Yeah. Yeah, so um, the question was, hey, you can only use these outdoor spaces depending on where you are only certain months a year. Isn't that kind of a waste of resources? And uh, great point. I would say a couple things in response to that. One is I love this idea of thinking about our workplaces morphing over the course of the year. Like I don't always have to work in the same spot every day, 365. The idea of going outside, I mean, just like in college, it was like, it's a great day, let's go work outside. Why not? Why not have that flexibility? Um, do you need a ton of infrastructure to do that? No, not necessarily. Just kind of permission sometimes um, to get that done. So I think this idea of thinking about our workspaces is, again, morphing and changing is really good. Um, when I was doing some interviews, um, a lot of, the, one of them was with uh, ABC Tampa, I think, and this was June 21st when we launched the beam thing, and they're like, why would we go outside? It's so hot. I was like, oh, God, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> like, okay, maybe a bad idea. Um, go out before 8 a.m., you know, kind of thing. But now is a perfect time in Tampa to go out. So it's kind of, it really is obviously going to vary seasonally. And also, I think a lot of people, it's not like working outside means working in a vast field completely exposed to the sun, you know, with like windstorms, you know, hitting your face. We're designers, right? We can come up, we're real estate people. We can come up with a Florida room, some glassy areas, indoor-outdoor kinds of space. There's lots of better ways to solve for this that can help it be used more easily around. So I'm, I'm all over what you're saying. I just think um, we need to be more flexible as designers to kind of make it more pervious, this indoor-outdoor wall. Yeah? Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning in to What's Next. Have an idea or point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org forward slash podcast.